So I apologize. Um, I'm not sure if you notice the screen blinking on the right-hand side of your peripheral vision there, but I'm pretty sure that's for me because um, I am easily distracted. And so it was just driving me nuts back there. And I was thinking, man, Lord, how is it that I'm so easily distracted by things? And I don't know what the issue is. So I apologize. You guys are suffering because God's still working on my heart. So isn't that funny how technology is here to help us? And sometimes it can really get in the way. Uh, we're following up this week with hopefully part two. We'll see if we get all the way through and, and finish up what we're doing. Uh, last week we were in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. We were talking about this the secret of the kingdom, how it's been given to uh, the, to the people that are on the inside. And so that caused me to, to spend some time going, okay, so what about the outsiders? What do we do? And we went on that journey to talk about outsiders. And anybody have any experience this week? I'm not looking for testimonies, just either a nod or you can duck your head because you don't want to be noticed, whatever that is. Um, anybody have an experience where they where they interacted with somebody that was lost and their heart was different. They, you weren't as angry at them for being sinners or whatever the issues are that we have problems with the outside world. But did anybody else experience that this week as we thought about how to interact with them um, at all? Anybody? Um, oh, thank you. A couple of you are helping me. Thank you so much. Um, I got I to gotta be honest with you. I really did. I had a, I had a great just a, a wonderful time. I shared with you the story of my neighbor and and his assistance in, in trying to be a good neighbor by not telling me about how my trashy yard offends him. And uh, and so I, I spent a lot more time this week praying for my neighbor and uh, really trying to seek God's heart and how to care for and be concerned um, about my neighbor who needs to know the Lord. And he and his bride both. And uh, it's a great, great privilege. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a little different aspect. We're going to look at the same text, and we're going to focus on um, what we would call the 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 maybe the heart of the text or the the reason that we're reading this in context. Um, some of your Bibles may have it uh, titled as uh, the parable of the sower. I don't know. You've probably we've probably heard it as, um, as the the soils or the the parable of the soils. I titled it this week uh, "Got Fruit." You know, that play off of Got Milk, it's the whole cool thing. Okay. Um, but we're going to look at this aspect because it's very interesting in the text that there's only one particular soil and, and seed combination that seems to produce fruit. And uh, so as we go through this, I think you'll see how the challenge uh, that we have in the text and, and the focal point Um where we land this morning. I want to really challenge you as we go through this initially um, to hold off on judging yourself and, and evaluating where you're at. Um, let's, let's read the text first and, and let's let the word begin to do its work in our hearts um, as we consider this together. I'm a little distracted this morning. I'm just going to confess to you right now. My poor bride is home with like wanting to puke and stomach cramps and no idea why. And um, I feel great. So, but I'm not hugging or kissing anybody here. Just so you know, it's, it's not, it's not that I don't want to be kind. It's just, I don't want to share in the event that we're sharing. And um, 
Anyway, so I was a little distracted this morning, and I'm, I'm concerned for her, but uh, so I apologize if I get lost every now and then, you'll know why. Uh, Mark chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some, of, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it, weathered, it withered away. The other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is, par- is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows uh, the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones uh, sown on rocky ground. The The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept their fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Father, would you take this time that we have to be in your word to think through and wrestle with this text? God, would you take it and use it in our lives? Speak to us this morning. I pray that you would close out the distractions of this life that would, for this moment, shut our ears and shut our hearts to hear from you and to be changed. May you be glorified, Lord, in in your word and in the worship of your church today. That, that we would not only sing, but that we would testify, that we would worship you in spirit and truth as we consider your word and as we live for you and who you are um, all the rest of this week. Go ahead of us today and teach us as you would in your name. Amen. Well, the nice thing about this text is that he kind of explains what we're dealing with, right? That, that's the one beauty about this parable, particular parable in this text, is that Jesus goes back and explains this to his disciples. So you and I can read the text, and we don't have to be sitting in that room with Jesus going, huh? Aren't you guys glad we're not the ones doing that? Thank you. I'm really glad he didn't sit down with me and say, don't, Jane, don't you get this? And, and, 
And so we get to come at this from a historical view. We get to read and to, to learn and listen from their experience, and it's truly great. So we're going to take just a second and look at the four soils where the seed is planted. Uh, the first one's the path, right? Anybody have any questions what happens on the path? Have you guys ever done any sowing, working in the garden? Anybody done that? You know, if you're broadcasting, which that's an old term for, for planting seed, if you're, if you, especially if you're doing it by hand and you're throwing the seed out, uh, you can get it where you don't want it, right? My mom and dad were especially effective at having seed where they didn't want it when they'd have us as young kids helping them, right? Uh, we rarely got an even swath of seed thrown out from us. And typically, I think my folks would actually kind of come behind us and fill in the spots that were important. But as the seed is being cast, uh, it, it can land in places that you don't intend it to. I think what's beautiful about this is that Jesus, um, and, and we see that, we'll see here in a minute, he's the word and he's also sowing in this process across. But it appears that the, the word of God is being sown on all types. It doesn't appear that there's a real selective planting process. The word's out there. And yet, how do they respond? Uh, it's interesting, in the path, Jesus explains that they're taken. The word is taken. Satan comes along and, and takes it away, and they remain in their previous condition, unaffected by the word. The second is rocky ground, and, and the term that we have in that is that they appear to fall away, which we don't really like that term because, I don't know, in, in the Christian church, this whole idea of falling away, there's big theological arguments. Can you lose your salvation? What does that look like? We're not going to get into that today. Just take a deep breath. That's not the, the, the main point of this. The issue is it appears that they are easily offended when the persecution or pressure comes on to them about the Word of God. That's what Jesus explains. They turn away from Him. They, they are, they're offended by the gospel, or they're afraid to stand in that moment. We see Jesus actually reference that in Matthew 6, or Matthew 11, verse 6. And it's very interesting in this text. John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples are coming to Jesus and they're like, who are you? John wants to know if you're the guy. Are you the one? The guy that he's come to do all this stuff. So John's sending his disciples and they come and ask him. And there, there's more to be read here, but just for our time this morning, we're going to just look at 11 verse 6. And uh, this is Jesus' response as he's explaining other things. There are things like the lepers will be cleansed, deaf will be will, will hear, the lame will walk, sight restored to the blind. All of this stuff is happening in the verse 6. He, verse six he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The seed sown on the rocky ground are, are people who, when the pressure is applied, turn away from Jesus. They turn away from the truth. You know, we've lived in a country where that has not been a possibility for us for many, uh, well, it's not been an expectation or a regular occurrence. Um, but it sure doesn't look like that's going to continue to be an option for us, right? It, it sure looks like there's more pressure coming on whether or not we're going to stay true to what we say we believe in Christ. Um, so that's, that, that's a question that we'll have to wrestle with. When the pressure's on, what do we do? How do we respond? The third 
soil or, or condition is that of uh, thorny ground. I don't know how many of you guys have the privilege of planting uh, gardens in this area, but have you ever noticed that you never had to, had to plant a weed? What in the world? I mean, you put stuff in the ground that you want to grow that produces good things to eat, but there's weeds that like just take over the whole place. And we've gotten so bad, uh, this, is how, this is how bad we are. We've gotten so bad that we even eat some of the weeds now. Lamb's quarter. I, how many, have you guys ever heard of lamb's quarter? Okay, some of you have. I had no idea what that was. I didn't, I, I mean, to me it was a weed. We didn't plant it. It attacked our garden. It took over huge areas. And we were up in the Okanagan, out in the Indian Valley, and some of, the, some of the old ranchers are like, oh, that's the best stuff, man. You can, I guess you use it like salad. I'm already not a fan of vegetables. What's up with eating weeds? It sure does. My bride found out she liked them. So we started using them. She did like them. This condition is that of the, the pressures of the world, greed and, and sin deceiving us and coming in and choking out the life that should be producing fruit. We see that in the text. We also look in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 12 and 13. We're exhorted by the writer of Hebrews here and how we live together. In chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I went right on past where you guys had, but that's okay if you opened your Bibles, you followed me. Did you just catch that part? He said that, that there's this process where, where we can actually uh, uh, have our hearts hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And he exhorts the church to live in such community that we're, we're encouraging and exhorting one another to stay faithful, to keep our eyes on Christ. It's so important. Some of you did that for me uh, when I first got here, um, and and I can't. I'm I'm still in awe of the fact that the Rav Four has never. I've never gotten away from that. Even a year later, people still encourage me about needing to own a Rav Four to help combat my pride. Um, I guess, and. Uh, but, but it's a beautiful thing how easy it is uh, for us to be deceived in God's design in the church for, for you and for me to be doing life together so that from the different perspectives of our lives and from the different challenges of our lives that we engage enough to actually notice and, and challenge one another and care enough for one another to not let us be deceived by sin and to wander off. Do you know how easy it is for us to live that way? How easy is it for us to become uh, uh, idolaters where something in this life takes a precedent over God? Each one of us has issues with that. Challenges, at least. Struggles or temptations towards that, at the very least. What's church known for, uh, by the outside world, for being gossips and hypocrites, right? That's what the world thinks of us. 
could, could we be honest for just a second? Aren't they a little right? So easy for us to be deceived by sin, to think that what we're doing is okay, but that speck in their eye, boy, that has to be removed. Brothers and sisters, I'm not in no way saying that we don't incur, we don't engage in that relationship because clearly that's what the text is saying. But I do think that we should look at our own hearts very, very carefully and we should per- pursue relationships within the church that are honest enough, that are transparent enough, that are deep enough. That if in my life there is sin that I'm becoming hardened to and I begin to think that it's okay for me to do these things, that one of you as my brother or sister would pull alongside and say, knock that off. But that's costly, it's painful, and it requires us to surrender ourselves. But do you see the soil? It's so easy to be deceived. It's so easy to be hardened by these things. And that's what happens in this particular moment. Our, 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 the soil is thin. It's, it's shallow. Actually, I'm sorry, that, that was rocky. It's, it's full of weeds, and it's easily choked out. And it does not produce fruit, is what Mark shared with us. Now, the good soil, the last one, the, our, our fourth soil, it produces fruit, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It produces fruit at 30 and 60 and 100 fold, and it's just absolutely amazing. But we have to keep in mind this particular aspect of the fruit. And we see this in John chapter 15. I want you to turn there with me if you would. We're going to talk about Jesus being the vine. Verses one through five, John says this in chapter 15, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me... You can do nothing. The fruit comes from Jesus. The, the, the ability for the good soil to produce fruit, it, that comes from Jesus. It's the quality of the seed. Although, and, and I'm going to share with you two things that we learned up in Aeneas Valley. Uh, one is that, and, and this is my term because it, it works, when, when we take a, a fertilizer and we mix it into our ground, it works, right? And so my, my Christian term for that that we used up in Aeneas Valley was poo-rich soil. Now, none of us likes that life. Not a one of you. Not me. I, I don't like it when I have things in my life that I would qualify as poo-rich soil. Those are typically painful things. They're difficult things. They're things that are not always pleasant to have. But a unique thing happened as I was preaching, actually, on, on this particular issue. Uh, one of the ladies in our church, she went home, and she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and read John 15 again. I just I need to read that text. And, and she wrestled with it, and she came back the next Sunday, and she comes in, and she goes, Pastor, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. She goes, you're pruned if you do and pruned if you don't. And I went, what? She goes, read the text. He says that he's going to prune you if you're not growing. And if you are producing fruit, he's going to prune you more. 
so you'll produce more fruit. And I went, dang, you're right. (laughs) So we're all going to get pruned. Isn't that amazing? Somehow we think that being in the good soil is going to be without complications, without difficulty, without pruning. And if God is faithful to his word, he plants us in the place, he plants his seed in a place where it'll produce fruit, and then he prunes us and manages it. And as the, the text in John said in verse in chapter 15, that the Lord vine dresses, that he manages that growth and that fruit. What a beautiful thing. Another piece that we see in this text today is the seed. And we, we know that as we read through here, Jesus explains that the word is the seed. And we've got from John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is the word. And we're not going to look at that this morning, but um, look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here we see that the seed is the word of God, and, and James reminds us that it's implanted in us, and it's, uh, we're told in this parable it is supposed to produce fruit. I love what James does in the text, though, and it really ties into what we see Jesus doing. We're going to look back at it here in just a second when he tells us if we have ears to hear, we should listen. But what James seems to be implying is that you and I, even if we're in in church together and we're professing to be believers, we can hear the word of God and we can choose not to obey it. We can be those that listen, but then go and live however we want. We can, we can reject that truth and live in opposition to that. You guys know that I, I confess whenever God gives me opportunities for growth, I tend to share them with you. Whether it's a driving issue on the road or, uh, or you know, what, whatever it is. Um, this week, I've, I've had one. And it was not a driving issue. Um, well, I, actually, there was one, but it was more just scared me half to death. I uh, was on my motorcycle when the freeway decided to stop because some pipe was laying out in the middle of the freeway. And oh, those cars get big when they're all crunching up next to you. They didn't crash. It was just like, I should say scrunching. Crunching means we hit, but scrunching, right? You're just, anyway. So I, I'm, my shop floor is going in on uh, Tuesday. Yay, praise the Lord. We're excited. I am, uh, I've spent money buying tie-down pots for the floor, and there are two possible options to what has happened. I prepared six pots. I took one pot, 
out and was preparing to have it wrapped and taped to go into the ground and got distracted and left it separate from the other stuff. And now a week later, I've come back and I can't find that one. Now I left it outside. And so that, you know, the first thing that goes through my head, somebody stole it. <laughs> my anxiety is, is that God's going to wait after the floor's down before he tells me where I left it. What's that? Oh. Do you know that when I get frustrated about life, I tend to be less gracious at home? I know none of you do that. When stress from work or things get bad and we come home and take it out on our family, none, none of you live that way. So I'm confessing for myself. But my bride was trying to help me. Did somebody just go off? Wait till you hear the story. My bride was trying to help me. And do you know how she was helping me? Where'd you leave it? That did not come out right. She did not say it snarky. That's how I received it. I want to just qualify that, sweetie. Um, she's trying to help me, so she's trying to walk me through the path of everywhere I'd been so that I could find it, right? Which is logical. But I've already been over that path three or four times, but she's still trying to help me. And do you know I found myself getting frustrated with her? I know it's a shock. Who would think that I would be frustrated with my bride trying to help me? Lots well, of scripture that says instructs me on how I'm supposed to care for and love my bride. And here she's trying to help me to res resolve a pretty significant problem, and I'm getting frustrated with her. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. When we recognize that Jesus is the word in this story, when we see the fruit that's produced in good soil, and he challenges us to listen, we should respond in such a way. We need to take just a moment and look at fruit. We have several different uh, aspects of fruit that we can consider. One is Galatians 5, verses 23 to, through 23. I'll read those, that just briefly for you. Galatians 5, 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. These are not things that you and I can go out and practice and reproduce in our lives. This is the result of the Spirit doing work in us. And so often it is revealed where we're at in that when He gives us opportunities for growth that challenge those characters and those behaviors. The interesting thing about the fruit here is that it is being produced by God. It's the quality of the seed that's really significant in this. Yes, the soil has a piece to play um, in the process, and, and you and I need to consider that, and we'll take just a second to consider that here in a moment. But the fruit, the, the, soil, the, the, the production, this fruit is given by God. It's produced by God. Interestingly enough, if you jump back to Genesis, and I, I just love grabbing some of the Old Testament because it's always fun to, to see how things connect. And as I was looking up a hundredfold, I thought, well, where else? I mean, why would Jesus use a hundredfold? What, what would that reference? Why would he be using that term? Because thirtyfold I kind of get. I don't know. Have you ever, anybody planted wheat or, or blueberries or anything? You put one seed in the ground and you got, you got more, right? You can produce more. I, I could kind of go with 30-fold thinking, that's not a bad harvest. 60-fold, you're probably a pretty good gardener at that point. You got your soil right, your seeds right, you're doing, you're doing things correct. But a hundred-fold, 
Seems like that's a pretty big jump. In fact, in my pea brain, I went, he missed 90. Anybody else? Any of my math guys out there going, hey, follow the sequence? No? Okay. That's what I was kind of curious about that. I didn't ask Tyler. I got to do that. Tyler, what in the world are they doing with here? But it's very interesting. Look in Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. It says this, And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. One of, the, one of the spots where we see a hundredfold used in our Bible is right here in Genesis, describing God's blessing on Isaac and his work in sowing. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to see another aspect of this fruit being produced. Paul says this, we thank, always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we hear, or since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Here in this production process, uh, we, we see throughout the text, yes, there's spiritual fruit that's produced in our hearts, but there's also a harvest that happens in the world when the light of the truth of the gospel is exposed and that harvest grows and is produced by Jesus. And oftentimes we have been involved at some level. The writer of the psalm seemed to understand this very clearly, that it is God who provides. It is God who brings the harvest. Our fourth point being the harvest. Uh, psalm 126 says this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. It is God who does the harvest. It is God who provides these things. You and I are dependent on him to show up. Interesting aspect about the harvest. We're going to look at Jesus' words. I have a text that we're going to look up here that I didn't give. Uh, that it isn't in the notes, and we'll look at that here in just a minute. But turn with me to John chapter 4, verses 31 through 4. Here Jesus is with the, the Samaritan woman, and, and he's, he's interacting with her at the well, and his disciples are returning from Samaria, having bought food for him, and they enter into this conversation with him right here in John chapter 4, verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? 
And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who is reaping is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of you, uh, because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here in this moment of harvest where Jesus is casting, he's challenging his, his disciples to get their eyes off of themselves and to look out and to see what God's doing in an eternal perspective. He's with the Samaritans and he's pointing out to them the, the harvest is ripe. It's white. It's ready to be taken in. And I love the fact that there's so many things to deal with in this text, but it's amazing that it's in this moment of truth. It's the word of God being given out to these people, even to the point where the, the Samaritan woman is convicted about her sin. Jesus tells her all that she has done, and the rest of the town comes out and says, what, what's going on? And he obviously does something similar with them because then they all go, it's not just because of what he told you, but it's because of what he's done in ours. It's his words have penetrated their hearts and they believed. The harvest is ripe. His word is planted. There is fruit to be produced and brought in. And I think the key to the text is in this next phrase. In verse 9, Jesus says to his disciples, he who has ears, let him hear. You know, when I first started wrestling to the text, I said, well, it's not about us. It's not about our soil. This is all about the word. It's all about the word. And then I got a hold of last week. And I'm looking at this going, but he says we've been given the secret to the kingdom. And if we're in, we're hearing these truths and it should start to affect us. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I thought, okay, Lord. I want to hear. The truth is that Jesus is the mystery. He fulfills prophecy. He's the great Messiah, the great coming King. He is the salvation of the world. We saw that in John chapter 3 last week. There will be many people who hear this parable or read these truths, read aspects of Scripture, and they will see these things and they will be deceived. They will not understand them. Satan will take them away. Persecution will cause them to turn away. Thorns will choke out any life or fruit that's possible in their life. As I was thinking about that, I thought to myself, Lord, what's the, how, how does this work for us then? If you and I are to be listening, if we are to be responding to this truth, and I think the application for us is to say this. If you're reading through this text and you notice in your life, you see in your life, 
that when persecution rises, whether it's at work or in a social setting, wherever it is, and you turn away and deny Jesus, you're unwilling to stand for truth. Much like Peter did when they when Jesus was taken and the girl said, hey, aren't you with him? And he's like, no. And he, ref- he denied Christ three times. If you see that in your life, if you, if you are aware of that truth, then it is being shown to you by God. According to this text, it is God who is revealing this secret, this truth to you. He's making it possible for us to see it. Because if we were outside, we would not see it. But if we're inside, we would see that truth. And if you do see that truth, then it is imperative that you respond to that truth. If for whatever reason you're reading through the text and you get to the thorny section and something about the the, the cares of the world, chasing greed or sexual immorality or the deceitfulness of sin, if God is convicting your heart this morning even, that those things are contained, that, that you're in that moment, that you're being choked out by those weeds, that that is your condition of life, then I believe that it is God that is revealing that to you and to me as his children, and it is imperative that we respond to that truth. If at some point you're looking at your fruit and you're going, that's not 30, 60, or 100-fold, Lord. Why isn't it more? I believe it's because the Spirit of God is giving us that light, that truth, and we it is imperative that we respond to that truth. And you say, how do we respond? That's the beauty of it. We get to turn and repent. When we see these things in our lives, we can repent and turn back to the Lord. But I love one of the great one of the great stories of the Old Testament. And so I want to end with this text this morning. It's in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. I'll give you a second to get there because I know it's not going to be up on the up on the screen. Joshua 24, verse 14 says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in all sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God of your fa- gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there are many gods that run rampant in our country, in our time and history. There are many things that will distract us and deceive us from standing for truth, for confessing the sin that is in our own lives, for drawing alongside a brother and sister and and loving them enough to care for and run with them. Many, many things that would draw us away from them. The world at some point is going to say we have to choose between agreeing with them or choosing to live for Jesus. Choose this day whom you will serve. Our response is to choose whether to follow God or to follow whatever it is that's that's popular, current, or easy. What will your choice be today? The fun st- part is it starts now. It starts when we get home. It starts when we stop at a restaurant. 
It starts when, when our neighbor says things that we don't like. When you get stuck behind somebody on the freeway. Whatever that thing is, it starts now. Choose this day who you will serve. Father, the cost is great. And you demonstrated that by choosing to live in obedience to your Father's will and to go to the cross and give up your life. As you taught your disciples, you challenged them to daily take up their cross and to follow you. Joshua gives us a great challenge as he is exiting his leadership of the Israelite, the, the Jewish nation as he is challenging the people to turn away from the gods that they were already worshiping and to serve the Lord. Father, the truth is, I know in my own heart that um, there are many temptations, there are many thorns and weeds in, in, in the garden that I'm planted in that could easily choke out the fruit that should be produced whether it's just simple selfishness that causes me to lock myself in my home and to avoid my neighbors, or if it's the hideousness of idolatry that that I think my car is more important or my job is more important or my preferences or my pride, whatever that is. God, in the secrets, the darkest secrets of our heart, the things that we hold on to and we refuse to release, we refuse to surrender. The truth is, God, that uh, choosing to follow you will cost us our whole life. Yet as we see the word of God, it is apparent, it is clear that it is the greatest thing we'll ever get to do. Father, I pray that you would overwhelm our hearts this morning that you would speak to your children today. Where is it that that we're at in this spiritual growth process? What fruit is being produced in our life? If there is none, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to that which you are needing to remove. And as we learned in John chapter 15, that you're going to prune us if we're growing and you're going to prune us if we're not. So, Father, as we decide now, as we choose this day whom we will serve, I pray that you would respond to your body, that you would ignite in us a fire and a passion and a boldness to turn and follow you regardless of circumstances, regardless of, of outside pressures or the cares of this world but that we together would choose to follow you. May you be glorified, Lord, in the worship of your church this day as we bow our hearts before you together.